Well, good morning, everybody. If I could choose one skill for each of us to develop in 2018, one skill that we could get better at in life, it would be learning how to manage tension and conflict in our relationships in a healthy way. I think we all struggle to deal with people in a healthy way when they've hurt us, they've wounded us. How should I deal with the person who slandered me at the office and cost me my job? What do I do with that neighbor I've got who is constantly mean and spiteful? What do I do with a family member, the close friend, who just abandoned and betrayed me? How do I deal with that? Now, the the Bible is painfully clear in lots of places about how we're supposed to deal with broken relationships in our life, like Romans 12, where Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Every time I read that verse, it creates this dissonance in my soul. We long for peace. We want peace in all of our relationships, but some of the grievances we have are so deep, so long-lasting that when we read words like live at peace, they seem shallow, they seem trite, they seem hollow at best. And at worst, it feels like we're being asked to play the victim to an abuser over and over again in our life. So you got any bad blood in a relationship in your life? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, so you can relax a little bit on that one. But I'm going to guess that all of us do. The Bible is full of passages like Romans 12, 18, passages that call us to live our life as peacemakers, to do our best to build every relationship in our life so that it's healthy and safe and peaceful. And when there's a broken place in those relationships, to do our best to get it back to that place in a healthy way. And the Bible's also really clear, if you read all the passages, put the teaching together, that when we're at a broken place in our relationship, whether it's my fault or your fault, I have to initiate, I have to come to you to try to resolve it. (laughs) I got a lot of feedback uh, from a lot of people on last week's message. People saying, you know what, I struggle with conflict. It's hard. I tend to run from conflict. I'm just not good at conflict. Yep, that's pretty much all of us. I think we're all in the same boat. Conflict can be really challenging. Conflict is a complex process with lots of moving pieces. It's complicated. And usually when we get hurt, we have one of two things that we do. If the hurt isn't really a big deal, if it's a little thing, we tend to talk to the person and work it out between us and we forgive them and we open up to them again. But as the level of conflict escalates, as the size of the problem gets bigger and bigger, we tend to choose to avoid it. We fear opening up again to the person. We feel like any conversation with them about the issue We just don't want to engage in that because of the potential for it to blow up. And so we just hold on to our hurt and we fear that forgiving them 
will actually open us up to some kind of hurt or abuse in the future. It makes us vulnerable. But those, thankfully, are not our only choices when it comes to conflict in our lives. In fact, we have a series of choices that we have to make when we find ourselves in conflict, if we want to navigate it well and in a healthy way. And often when we get into a conflict, we're dealing with three very core issues, among others, around conflict. Now, I struggled with this because I don't want these to appear sequential. This is not like you do one, two, three, and it's these are part of a complex process where we're struggling all throughout it to make all three of these choices. And the first choice simply is, will I forgive? And forgiveness is focused on the past. It's all about the past. It's about the event, the, the letter, the, the action on the person's part that really hurt us, whether it was intentional or not. The truth about forgiveness is that it's a choice that we make. And I can forgive anyone at any time I choose, no matter what size hurt they've inflicted. It doesn't matter if the person is living or dead. It doesn't matter if I'll never see them again. I can still forgive them. It doesn't matter if they intend to apologize. Although, getting an apology makes it easier to forgive. But that doesn't mean that forgiveness is ever really easy. Sometimes the wrong is a heinous act that the other person has done to us. Sometimes it can take the rest of our lives to fully and completely forgive someone. Sometimes the person I'm trying to forgive just continues to be mean and cruel and thoughtless or just simply aggravating, and it makes it tough. The reality is that my capacity to forgive truly doesn't depend on their actions, their attitudes, their behavior at all. Colossians 3, Paul writes and says that we need to make allowances for each other's faults. I'm just going to stop right there. He's, he's telling us a really important truth, that no matter what relationship we get into, the odds are very near 100% that if we're in it very long, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to do something dumb. We're going to do something intentional and hurt the other person. Whatever the cause is, we have faults And those faults are going to cause pain in relationships. It's just the way it works. And so he says, make allowance for that and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you have to forgive others. Forgiveness is a deeply spiritual act. It is a choice that we make. Not because the person deserves it, not because we feel like it, because we often don't when we start forgiving a person. We do it because we must. We do it because we have committed our life to God. We said, I want you to lead and guide my life, and forgiveness is something God requires of us. I think we make it hard on ourselves to forgive because we get confused about what forgiveness means. To forgive is simply to choose to think differently about what happened. When we forgive, we stop clinging to the wrong that we've suffered. We let it go. And we begin to cling to grace and forgiveness. 
When we choose to forgive, we stop bringing up the wrong that we've suffered and using it as leverage in our relationship with that person. When we choose to forgive, we stop talking to other people about the wrong that we've suffered. Because doing that just embeds the pain, just makes the wound deeper and doesn't lead us to forgive. When we choose to forgive, we stop using the wrong we've suffered as an excuse to treat the other person badly or just ignore them all together. I like to think of forgiveness as a journey. It's not a one-time choice. It's not even just these four choices. These are just the most prominent ones where we're trying to forgive. We have to choose to forgive that person over and over again. Every time we see them, every time we think about the wrong that was done to us, until we're able to attach a different meaning to that event. Until we can come to the place where we see it as something we've forgiven and moved on from. I think we make conflict hard when we get confused about the idea of what forgiveness is and isn't and how we offer it. And then we make it even harder when we confuse forgiveness with reconciling with the person. We get these two mixed up with each other, and it just becomes easier for us to avoid this whole mess that's in our lives. But these are two separate choices. Forgiveness has to do with the past. Reconciliation has to do with the present. It's a choice to deal with what's standing between you and me today. Whether it's antagonism or animosity or hatred or ill will or whatever it is, you choose to work together to find a way to remove that obstacle from your relationship. That's reconciliation. Jesus described a process of reconciliation in Matthew 18 in detail. It is probably the most quoted passage when you start talking about conflict management, resolving conflict in a healthy way. We talked extensively last week about the first part of this passage. And in that opening part, Jesus is really clear, paralleled with Matthew 5 where he did this teaching. If you get sideways in a relationship with someone, regardless of whose fault it is, Jesus says, go to them and talk with them. And if you can clean it up in one conversation, if you both own your part of the mess... If you both ask for and receive forgiveness for your part, that's what it means to reconcile. You've removed the barrier that was between the two of you. And Jesus doesn't say there's a cap on the severity of the offense. It's not like, well, if it's this big, then yeah, obviously you don't, you know, you don't do this. No, this is how you do reconciliation. But what happens if you sit down and talk? And nothing changes. I'm sure you've had conversations where you were trying to resolve a dispute with someone, manage the conflict well, and instead of the conflict getting better, it got worse. That conversation just inflamed the conflict. What happens then? Well, Jesus says if that's the case, then you select two or three people to go back with you and you try this again. Now, let's be honest. Our human nature, if we're going to pick two or three people to go with us to resolve a conflict, we're going to pick people who are on our side, right? We're going to pick people who are going to fight for us when we sit down to talk with this person. I actually saw this one time. I was in a conflict resolution, and the guy who was coming in brought five people with him. He wanted to bring more. We stopped him at five people. 
He was like going to assemble a whole room of people who would stand up and be character witnesses and testify. It, it was interesting because there were those people in the room and then there was the guy who was in conflict with and me. And over the course of the conversation together, all five of his friends looked at him and said, dude, you got some issues you got to deal with here. I don't think that was the outcome he was looking for when he stacked the deck. It's a harder choice to, fu- to find people who are going to fight for us, who are going to fight for the relationship versus one side or the other in the conflict. But when we do it and we do the process right, there is this God-ordained way that it can bring about a resolution. I- I've been around church all my life. I've seen lots of conflict. And when people are able to sit down and talk to each other face to face, the vast majority of the time, they can resolve a difference that seemed so big to them before. In fact, I've never seen a conflict in the church go to that last level that Jesus talks about where he says, if you got, you know, the one-on-one doesn't work and the four-on-one doesn't work, then you take it to the whole church and the whole church gets involved. Never seen it happen. People can usually resolve it in that one-on-one. But it takes two. It takes two people to reconcile. And we may have situations in our life where we can forgive people, but we can't reconcile. Because they simply won't talk to us. They simply won't sit down with us. They may continue to be mean and angry and harsh and unfair with us. But the Bible is really clear that peace isn't just dependent on one of us. It's both. That's why Paul said, if it's possible, and so much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because there comes a point in a conflict where you've done everything you can. You've walked the walk that Jesus has asked you to walk. You've fulfilled your responsibility. And moving forward, if there's no reconciliation, then we have to be able to find peace about that relationship, even if we can't find peace in it. Jesus then, in the last part of Matthew 18 there, makes this interesting statement. He says, you know, if we can't reconcile, even after we get the church involved, then we're supposed to treat that person like what? Like a pagan, somebody who doesn't even know Jesus, or worse yet, like a corrupt tax collector. I'm going to be honest with you. The first time I read this passage, and then for years afterwards, I liked that. Right? Because what do you want to do with a corrupt tax collector? I mean, I thought that gave me license to be mean and hateful to the person. You know, I just would pray, God, I want you to mess them up. And the only other request I've got is that you let me watch while you mess them up. I want to see it. You know, don't shame me because you've been there too. And then a loving friend challenged my thoughts one day. He said, hey, um... Do you ever think through how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors in the Bible? How did he treat tax collectors? Let's just take that one. There was Matthew. One of the first tax collectors Jesus encountered as he started his ministry. What did he do with Matthew? He invited him in and made him one of his closest followers, one of the disciples. And then there was Zacchaeus. There probably wasn't a more corrupt tax collector in all the land than Zacchaeus. He went home and had dinner with him. And you start reading through all of this, 
And what you find is that Jesus did this so often. He hung out with the unruly, the unlovely, the corrupt tax collectors so often that the religious leaders said, you know what, he's just a friend of these cheats and frauds and sinners. Jesus' example in the Gospels challenged my thinking. He wasn't mean or hateful to the crooked tax collectors. He loved them. He had meals with them. He hung out with them. He treated them with respect. That's a much harder approach to deal with people who won't reconcile. But we must forgive. We're commanded in Scripture to forgive. We need to reconcile, if at all possible. And if we can't reconcile, then we still have to exhibit the grace and the kindness that God says should characterize our lives as we interact with that person. But that grace and kindness doesn't mean that we re-engage in a relationship with that person at the same level we were at before. As though nothing ever happened. That really isn't possible because deep relationships are built on trust. And when we go through a serious conflict, that trust is damaged and sometimes is destroyed. Trust has to do with the future. Trust has to do with from this day forward, how much will you let that person back in your life? It is a separate choice involving risk and openness. I can forgive someone for damaging our friendship. I can reconcile with them. That doesn't mean we're going to continue to be friends. And that's an important distinction to think about, to clarify in your life. Bible's full of wisdom on relationships. Proverbs especially. One of the Proverbs says this, the wise are cautious and avoid danger and fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. It is foolish to recklessly trust people in this life. It is foolish to continually open ourselves up to relational abuse, to mean people, to people who show no desire, no effort to change in their life. It's foolish to open up to that kind of trust, no matter who they are. The call to live in peace is not a call to be helpless victims in our life. When there's been conflict... We get to choose how much we will trust people or if we ever trust them again at all. But we don't get to be mean. We don't get to mistreat them. We simply get to choose how much we trust. And that gets hard when the conflict was with someone who's been a longtime friend or when the conflict is with someone who's a family member. When we've got years of shared history, it's hard. Anytime I talk about bad blood, about broken relationships, the first thing that comes to my mind is my two brothers. I don't have a good relationship with them. In fact, I don't have any relationship with them at all. I haven't talked to either one of my brothers for almost five years now. And I wish it were different. I've done everything that I can do to live at peace with them. It's just not possible. They have a history of emotionally and physically abusing people in their lives. So it's not wise for me to trust them. And I don't. 
Reconciliation is just not possible. In large part because they've made it clear they don't want to sit down and talk with me. They don't think they've done everything wrong. They believe everything that's wrong with our relationship is my fault. So they have no desire to talk. And you can't do reconciliation alone. The only peace that I'm able to find is that every single year I travel a little further in my forgiveness journey with them. I realize I've done everything I can do, everything God has asked me to do at this point. And I find these days he's beginning to give me peace about those relationships, even though I can't find peace in them. And peace is starting to show up in ways in my life I didn't anticipate. Far from being angry at my brothers now, I have compassion for them and where they are in their life, for their families, for how broken their relationships are. When I think about them, I'm not angry, at least not as often. I'm actually sad for them. And I wish their lives, the trajectory of their lives, their relationship with me were different. I'm learning to talk about them with mercy and grace, not justice. And I'm learning to extend mercy and grace, not because they deserve it, not because they've apologized. I'm learning to extend mercy and grace because God has extended that to me over and over and over again. I'm convinced that our world is a mess right now in large part because we don't know how to deal with conflict on any level. And every time we get into a conflict, we bring in pride and arrogance and stubbornness and anger. We drudge up all kinds of stuff from the past, and it all gets in the way of healing this relationship in a healthy way. And the unresolved conflict that we're left with in our lives makes us bitter people, and that bitterness can poison every relationship in our life, even our relationship with God. Jesus wants something different for you and for me. And he's calling us to choose a different path. Path of forgiveness. Every time. The path of reconciliation and trust when it's wise. And all those paths, they take work. They take wisdom. It will take everything in us doing everything possible to live a life of peace.